Today's scripture is taken from 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, or verses 16 to 33. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, would but as a fool. Since my boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts you on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, though many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor un under King Eratus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. The word of the Lord. Speak to God. Well, we have been talking a lot about Paul uh, in the last few weeks, and this wraps up our series on Paul. But there's one important question that we haven't talked about biographically about Paul, and that is, what did Paul look like? What did Paul look like? What do you imagine Paul looked like? So, so uh, get a picture in your head about Paul, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to ask for some participation here. We're going to take a little poll to see how we as a congregation think Paul looked. Okay? So everybody's got Paul in your head? Okay? So, is Paul in your head young or old? How many say young? How many see Paul as old? Okay, older. Okay, so we got Paul as older. Okay. How, uh, tall or short? How many people think of Paul as a tall guy? Think of him as tall? How many of you think of him as short? Anybody in the middle? We're going to go middle to short, I think. I'm trying to... Well, we, could take a, we could take a paper ballot, but I don't think it's necessary... 
Okay, Paul's hair. Do we imagine Paul to be bald, to have short hair, or to have long hair? How many of you bald? Paul was bald? Short hair. Not a lot of short hair, long hair. Yeah, it's interesting. We think of first century people having long hair, but a lot of times men did not want to look like women. So most of the time, particularly Jews would not have had long hair. That's interesting. Okay, but we think long hair. Okay, beard or no beard? How many of you, Paul with a beard? No beard? No beard? Okay, so mostly beard. Short beard or long beard? How many of you short beard? How many of you long beard? Okay, we're, we're pretty divided on the beard. Okay, what about his physique? Do you consider him to be skinny, flabby, or muscular? We're going to go those three categories. Okay, how many of you think of Paul as skinny? How about flabby? How about muscular? Okay, we're more of a muscular, it looks like muscular around here. Okay, uh, how many of you think of him, think about his personality, his energy level? Okay, do you think of him as calm, high, strong, or sort of middle of the road? How many people see Paul as calm? Okay, one, you're very, uh, you're very kind. Okay, how many of you see Paul as high, strong, kind of high energy? How many kind of middle? He's somewhere in the middle. Okay, all right. Um, one question, we're not going to vote on this, but think about it for a minute. When you picture Paul... What color skin does he have? I mean, honestly, when we picture these characters, a lot of times we picture them being white. And they certainly weren't. Okay, they're from the Middle East. Uh, they're, from, uh, they're right there between Asia and Africa, and they are not white. Um, so we don't know what Paul looks like. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't give us really descriptions of any characters. We know of some handsome people. David is described that way. Some of his sons are described that way. But even Jesus, we have no description of what Jesus looked like. But, but actually, I think we can say some things about what Paul may have looked like based on this text in 2 Corinthians. Now, at first glance, I don't think this passage seems to help very much. In fact, it seems to be like Paul's bragging. Did it almost feel like Paul was bragging there? He's sort of boasting. Uh, it seems like the people of Corinth have actually been boasting about how great they've been and how gracious they've been. Okay, one of the problems at Corinth seems to be pride. And so Paul, maybe he is described as a fool or somebody else is described as a fool. Fool is a nice translation. It probably means more like crazy. Okay, you think I'm crazy? That's what Paul's saying. You think I'm crazy? And he, he, the, the translation madman, that's a pretty good translation. Okay, you think I'm crazy? I'm talking like a madman here. And he starts to brag, but he doesn't just brag about uh, his pedigree as a Jew and as a Pharisee. He, thinks, he starts to say, you think I'm crazy? And then he starts to lay out all of the stuff that he's done. Now, when most scholars read this list, they try to do a kind of a historical thing. Okay, well, where was he beaten and where was he shipwrecked and all of this? Um, but it wasn't until my teacher, a guy named Len Sweet, who's been here before, uh, taught me this passage that I started to think about it in a very different way, in a first century way. Because none of you have ever seen anyone beaten with rods. You've never seen anyone stoned. You've never seen anybody whipped with a cat of nine tails. You've never seen this. But in the first century, people had. They had seen this. 
this was common justice in a lot of the cities, and they had been in Roman towns. And, and every time you would go to Passover in Jerusalem, they would crucify several people that would be whipped, and they would be beaten in the streets like this. Okay, this was a group of people in the first century, Paul is writing to some of whom have seen their friends, their family go through this. They know what this looks like. And so when they hear about these things, I think they would have thought of them very visually. And we, we've got to teach ourselves to do that. We've got to think of ourselves watching the Bible as a movie. What would this look like? What would it be like? So let's think about a couple of these things. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now, the, the understanding was that 40 lashes would kill you. And so what they did to punish you was they would give you 39 lashes, 40 minus 1, except there were a lot of people that did not survive even the 39. This wasn't a typical whip. It would have been some kind of thing, um, sometimes described as a cat of nine tails. It wouldn't have been long. It would have been a short whip. And what they would do is they would put pieces of glass and nails and thorns and rocks into the whip. Okay? And it wasn't a fast whip. So what they would do is they would lay these nine or so pieces across somebody's back and it would stick. And then they would pull it out. Okay? Um, I, there's a documentary that the History Channel did about crucifixion and they, they did this to a like, fake piece of skin on a mannequin to show what it would do. And the first couple of swings it did nothing. But after that the pieces of skin would just fall off. And they had to stop because it was ruining the mannequin underneath. Okay? It, it, it would bruise. It would break all your bones. It would rip away most of your back. And it didn't stop at your back. You know what I mean? It would get on your back of your arms. It would get on your, your butt and even onto your legs. How many times did Paul go through this? Five times. Five times. But praise God, there were good plastic surgeons... There were skin grafts, blood transfusions for all the blood loss. No. When your back was ripped off in those days, all you got is olive oil. Okay? Paul's back would have looked like Rambo. You know what I mean? It would look like all these scars, like just torn up. His back would have never looked the same. Five times Paul went through this. How many ribs did that break? I don't think Paul ever walked straight again, and he did it five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Rods, we think of them like kind of soft bamboo. Back in history, if you go to Israel, there's no bamboo. There's no soft wood. Okay, when they say rods, they mean like bats, like two-by-fours, clubs, that you would be beaten. It would be brutal. It would break bones, bruise, internal organs. Not just your back. The beaten with rods would be everywhere. And so what kind of bruises would Paul have gotten? What kind of muscles would never have worked the same way again? Three times Paul gets beaten with rods. Plenty of people died being beaten with rods. Once Paul was stoned. Now, when we think of stoning, we tend to think of a person, and then everybody sort of surrounds this person and throws stones at them. This is really, really stupid. Okay? Because if I miss the person... I hit the crowd on the other side. You understand? It's called crossfire. You would never, ever do that. We also tend to think of a person that would, would be kind of like a firing squad against a wall. We would throw stones at that person. But there's this thing called ricochet, right? 
If I stone a person against the wall, I'm also stoning myself and all my neighbors. Okay? So typically, there were two ways that you stone. One is, you would go up to a high place with stones at the bottom, and the person would be pushed off down onto the stones. Okay? When Jesus is tempted uh, by Satan as part of the temptations to throw himself off onto the stones and have the angels protect you, okay? it, the temptation is to avoid execution. Okay? It is to avoid being stoned. That's one way to stone. The other way would be to have some kind of a pit that you would put the person in, and then you would throw stones or you could roll larger stones down onto them, but you wouldn't get hit yourself. Can you imagine Paul going through this? I mean, what would you do if you're in the pit? You try to protect yourself as best you can, right? Hold up your hands, hold up your arms until your fingers break, until your arms get broken and bruised, until you end up in a fetal position. What kind of gashes did Paul have on his head, on his face? What kind of gnarled fingers? What kind of arms that didn't bend the same way again? What kind of scars did Paul have? So not just on his back, but all over his body. How many scars would never heal right and he would bear them the rest of his life? Would Paul's nose always be crooked? You know, would, would he? Three times, by the way, that happens in Acts 14 in Lystra and the crowd, it, 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 Paul is so beaten with the stones that they drag him through the streets thinking that he's dead. Probably means they would tie him to a horse or to a donkey and sort of parade him around in the community so everybody knew. So Paul gets dragged then. Then he gets left for dead outside the city. The community comes around him. And uh, the text says then he gets back up. And some people have even read that to be a miracle, that maybe Paul really did die or was so near death, but then the prayers of the community sort of brought him back that he could walk away from that. Three times Paul was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea. Now, in those days, shipwrecks were fairly common, particularly on the Mediterranean Sea, where you can have all kinds of uh, tumultuous weather very quickly. And Paul traveled a lot, so this happened to him multiple times, including, he said, a night and a day adrift at sea. Now, I want you to imagine, what would Paul's skin be like at this point? Okay, he's worked his whole life as a tent maker, worked with his hands. He's got these rough, gnarled hands, and then he's been out at sea overnight like this. And the ongoing anxiety, the toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. All the meals that Paul didn't have because there was no food. All the times he was out in the cold because he didn't have a place to stay. What does Paul look like? Paul looks like Quasimodo. Paul looks like the hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, no wonder he had to have somebody else write his letters. No wonder he didn't sit there and hand write all those letters. And how amazing that he would continue to travel, that he would continue to preach. And they would ultimately pay the, the, that he would pay the ultimate price. And we don't know this from scriptures, but tradition tells us we, we know Paul was arrested. He was on his way to Rome for trial. The Bible itself doesn't say what happened, but according to the tradition, Paul was beheaded in Rome. So when Paul gives this list, what he's really doing to that church is he's lifting up his shirt. You think you're over there boasting about how much you've done for Christ, and he peels up his shirt, 
And he shows them his scars and his wounds and the way his back doesn't bend the right way anymore. And what he's saying is, church, if you're going to brag, show me your scars. Show me what you have sacrificed to follow Jesus. Are you really crazy about Jesus? Show me the wounds. So why does Paul go through so much? He goes through so much because he is convinced that Jesus is everything. That all of Israel's history comes into focus in this person from Galilee. He believes that all of this wrong, that is wrong in the world is corrected in the death of this miracle worker, miracle working rabbi. He believes the future of the whole world is built on the resurrection of this man that appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And thank God he was faithful to that calling. Because we owe so much to Paul's witness and to Paul's writings. If Paul hadn't come along and we just had the gospel, there would be so many blanks we would have to fill in. So many insights about who Jesus was and what he was done. So many gaps that God brought Paul to fill in. It was Paul that talked about working out your salvation. That that you had to do something, you had to think about it, you had to be transformed by your mind, that this work in Christ has to do something. It has to produce fruit. It was Paul that did the heavy lifting for the early church on figuring out what Jesus did on the cross. He's the one that came up with a lot of the metaphors, a lot of the pictures, a lot of the way of describing this. It was Paul that fought for grace instead of law and faith instead of earning Jesus. Those things are in the Gospels, they're in the Old Testament, but it was Paul that put his finger on it and said, no, 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 this is important. Paul really developed what a church should be and how a church should act. You're here because of this guy, Paul. You are in a church and not a synagogue. Uh, I had bacon for breakfast because Paul gave me permission to do that. Paul pushed these issues forward. And despite how misused and misrepresented Paul has been over the years, it was Paul that championed the values of freedom and pushed people to be treated well. Paul put arms and legs on the love of Jesus. You understand, there's a Reformation Sunday. You go back and read these great reformers, who were they reading to try to understand what the faith was all about? It was Paul. It was Paul. It was Martin Luther that was reading Romans. John Wesley that was reading Martin Luther talking about Romans. There wouldn't be a Protestant church without the works of Paul. There wouldn't be theology without Paul. And so many of the values that we hold dear of freedom, of valuing women, of not having slaves, of having a good work ethic, of having church order, of understanding what a pastor is, and understanding what a church is, we don't have most of these things without Paul's clear call to them. And so many of the values that have been cornerstones of this experience in in the new world that we've called the United States of America, we owe two works of Paul. Because of Paul, the faith spread through the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire eventually became Christian. This whole movement owes so much to Paul. Paul was revolutionary. But always remember the price that he paid to be so revolutionary the scars that he bore to make that come to life. And we are standing in the fruit of his scars. So today, as we close our series on Paul, I want to ask you to consider the question that I think Paul is asking Corinth. Show me your scars. 
Show me your scars. Are you crazy about Jesus? What have you sacrificed? What have you given up? What burden have you taken on because of your relationship with Christ? May Paul's scars with his letters and his example push us onward as we sacrifice for Jesus in our world today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.